everyone. Welcome back to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and the stories around the Washington National Guard. It is now June. Like, seriously, why is it June already? And we are marching right into fire season. That fun time of year where we all come together to fight a common enemy. DNR is reporting more than 400 fires this year already. Those can range from small backyard fires that get a little bit out of control to larger fires that require a crew of firefighters to extinguish. So the dry, hot conditions that we have right now are ripe for another more than active than usual fire season. And with that comes training. The Washington National Guard is currently training soldiers and airmen to get their red card certification, a certification that allows them to fight wildland fires. In this episode, I sat down and talked with Angie Lane, who is with Washington uh, Department of Natural Resources, and Sergeant First Class Stephen Larkin, who is helping to get the guard spun up and trained in anticipation of this fire season. It takes to be red card certified, as well as a couple funny stories from the front line of the wildfires. So without further ado, I bring you Stephen Larkin and Angie Lane. All right. Thank you, folks, for being with me today. Um, I have here uh, Sergeant First Class Stefan Larkin with the Washington National Guard. And I also have with me Angie Lane. She's Assistant Division Manager with uh, DNR. Um, and we're here to talk about wildfires and kind of like what we're doing um, to prepare um, and how we, how we interact between agencies. <laughs> and um, so, let me kick it off with uh, Stefan. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Yeah, my name is uh, Sergeant First Class Stefan Larkin. Um, currently, um, I am on orders to assist with uh, the DLOG training and fires mission. A little bit about myself, uh, my past. Um, so I, I work at the USPFO as a budget analyst. Um, I've had project management course, Lane Six Sigma Greenbelt for education. Um, so right now, again, I'm trying to help facilitate uh, the FIRES mission. Uh, and thus far, I've conducted one of uh, the, the DLOC training courses, which we've trained up about eight people, uh, to, again, to help facilitate. That's, um, so the DLOC individuals, the end of, or they go in between uh, the DNR forces and our uh, organic guard forces. I want to continue on. I, it's kind of weird because I, like, I sound like I'm rambling and I don't want to ramble. <laughs> no, it's all good. Okay. Um, and, and so right now, there's a bunch of other trainings that are training events that are going to take core or take place in the near future. Uh, we actually have one scheduled for the 9th and 10th of next month, which we're going to start training firefighter crews. Mm -hmm. And so the firefighter crews are the guys that are guys and gals that are embedded with the uh, the DNR folks actually out in the forest to uh, combat the fires. Of course, mm -hmm. the LNO guys and girls are in the rear with um, trying to coordinate that portion to figure out what's our next mission, where we're trying to go, and the statuses of the fire in itself. Okay. Um, Angie, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure, sure. I'm Angie Lane. I'm the Assistant Division Manager for the Plans and Information section in our Wildfire Division here at Washington DNR. And the training portion uh, that I'm most um, 
familiar with as far as uh, the academy program that we utilize to train guard for firefighting is within my purview. So that's where I have the most connection with the guard. Okay. So let's <clears throat> let's talk about um, a couple things real quick. So how how do we know? If they're if 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 we're gonna have a big fire season, because I remember several years ago that there was some story that was you know thrown out on the news and NPR in the area about the wildfire or I think the they talked about the the snowpack and everything um, and that it's gonna be a really dry season. How do we know that and how do we know that it's going to be a big wildfire season? You know, that's always the million dollar question every time somebody starts asking us about January. So what's fire season going to be like? Well, really, we, we can guess. We can utilize some of the climate information, the weather forecasting, um, what the fuels are doing, how much snowpack did we get, you know, what kind of spring rain did we get? We can utilize all of that information, put it together and try and guess about fire season. But the bottom line is, you know, it takes dry fuel. It takes a weather event like wind or lightning or something like that, a storm. And um, it takes, uh, you know, looking at, what kind of resources do we have out there on the landscape that are going to help us keep fire small? So unless we, you know, have all of those things uh, working together, generally we can stay ahead of what's called fire season. You know, the amount of fire occurrence that's happening during a given fire year. The for this year particularly, it looks like based on the weather and based on some of the other indicators that are out there, uh, that we could be shaping up for an active fire season. But it looks like that fire activity that could result in what we really track, which is significant large fire on the landscape, uh, would probably fall more within the July, August timeframe. So that's where we're really looking. Um, everything is lining up to favor more of the eastern part of our, so that um, eastern and central part of Washington, especially the, the basin, the Columbia, Columbia River Basin, that's where we're seeing the most impact by drought. And I don't know if you guys noticed that the uh, Department of Ecology issued a drought advisory, so it is definitely dry in many of the counties across the state. Um, so we'll just have to, you know, we're just going to have to see. It's going to take that um, weather event over dry fuel to, to really determine um, how active we will be. But for sure, we are poised for what we're considering um, probably an above average season. Okay, because <clears throat> I remember back when I was that, that that story that I was referencing a couple of years ago, 
um, yeah, they, they took all that information into account and they, they said that there was, it's going to be a bigger than average fire season. And sure enough, it was probably one of the record setting seasons that we've ever had. So, yeah. so it's, well, it's scary how accurate you got, <laughs> the scientists can be. They're getting better. They're yeah. getting better. That's for sure. So um, one of the things that, yeah. that uh, the guard is trying to do is try to help out with that predictability. So we're trying to use ArcGIS uh, to show satellite imagery of, of hotspots to kind of help uh, with that sort of uh, understanding of the fire season. And so I'm hoping that with uh, the DNR resources and kind of uh, the little cop that we're developing will uh, help us with just getting prepared early than later. How? How? Like so? So the satellite imagery actually shows you hotspots and active fires currently. Okay. Um, and that's throughout the nation. Um, so we're just trying to limit it to Washington State because that's where we're at. And it shows like active fires and how large. Um, satellite imagery tells you how hot a spot is for uh, some of those elements to start fires, right? So mm. it's hot, you know, dry weather, and so. Yeah, keep an eye on this area because it's it's yep. it's primed for ignition. Okay. But again, of course, we're we're reactive, so we still have to wait till uh, yeah. the local officials call us up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and for for DNR, you know, we work with the governor, right, to make that emergency declaration, and that's when we have access to our guard troops. So I've I've seen that we. Um, already have about over 200 wildfires since since January, or just the, in this calendar year alone. We actually have more than that right now. Um, I think we're near near 400. Um, uh, the one thing I want to say about that though is, you know, every every time we respond to somebody's fire. Um, we consider that, you know, uh, a statistic, if you will. Mm -hmm. So the over half of those fires that you've indicated for our fire year so far, so starting January 1st, are caused by debris burning. And so that's one thing that we're trying to get the public to understand is they too need to be paying attention to the weather forecasting and things like that. And if it's dry or if it's windy, it's probably not a good day to burn. And so right now our problem area seems to be debris burning. So people, uh, you know, when we respond, it's because their, their fire has escaped, their pile or whatever it is they're burning has escaped. So, hmm. yeah, okay, so that's uh, just a little backyard <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. That's uh, the human aspect of all of this that can be prevented. Can't prevent lightning fires, but we can prevent human cause starts. And so in Washington, I feel like we need to do a better job of messaging that, you know. So when, when in, in the course of a fire or a wildfire, when, when do you get to a point where, where, you think you need extra help and National Guard help because that is 
you you get you get help from other states other states you know um firefighters can come help um when when does that point that tipping point come that tipping point comes when uh we start getting into a preparedness level we we rank the summer based on how um well we can respond with the weather conditions we're given. So once we've tapped the keg, if you will, and we are out of resources, we're out of resources we can get from our neighbors, from our partners within the state of Washington that are part of that agreement that we have with each other that says we fight fire together in a cooperative manner. When we know we've exceeded that and the resources are no longer available from other states, then we start looking to make that emergency declaration, um, you know, asking the governor if we can start utilizing the guard resources that are available. So that's how we get there, but we have to draw down our own firefighting resources before we can make that declaration. Okay. Now, last year, um, we probably didn't get completely to that point, but we knew we would. And so uh, we went ahead and, you know, it looked like, you know, we were trying to be proactive. So it looked like we weren't going, or that we were going to get there earlier than we thought. And so we went ahead and made that declaration fairly early in the year. I think it was beginning of August or something. Okay. Now, we all know the military, the government sometimes can move at a snail's pace um, to get uh, a, a few hand crews, which is like uh, one hand crew is like 20 individuals, right? Yeah. And so to get, say, 100 National Guardsmen spun up, you know, get on orders, get prepared, get their gear, get situated, travel to the site. Um, it can take a while. It can take several days, in fact. What do, how, I mean, are, are we, how are we um, getting ahead of that? How are we um, being prepared or, or, or just getting, what kind of things are we doing to, to, to knock out some stuff ahead of time so we can respond faster? So, so I'll let, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll let uh, Stefan uh, really speak to that, but I can say just quickly that it's about the training, right? It's so we're trying to get the training out of the way early, but go ahead. Yeah, okay. So the training aspect is uh, the major factor, uh, and that's what we're doing currently is making sure that we have enough teams set up. The second thing is also identifying the units that will uh, respond, because beforehand uh, it was more like a, hey, you, you get that phone call, and now you're activated. Now you're kind of annoyed because you have to rearrange your whole lifestyle right. uh, to, to go to this fire. Um, and the second thing we're trying to do as well is um, not only it's uh, identifying the unit that's going to be called up or that's responsible for the LNOs, it's providing the equipment, right? So we have talk right now that we're trying to stage equipment both on the east and the west side for accessibility uh, because that's some of the things that we don't have a line that we do we store. Um, so that's what we're trying to do to kind of help a, a better re response to fires on either side of the mountains. Okay. 
Um, so you talked about these uh, these training. Um, we call it red card certification. Um, yeah. Can you talk to me about about that? What it takes to become a, a, a firefighter and and what that red card certif certification gets you. What does it allow you to do? Sure. So uh, you know the very basic. Uh, Beginner firefighter qualification is what's called an FFT2, so a firefighter type 2. So that's your basic training. So you're taking uh, beginner um, courses in fire behavior, tactics, uh, leadership, things like that. It all culminates together into courses that uh, will get you that firefighter qualification. The thing that's required of that after all that training is a field day. So you have to do um, the field day so that you can exercise the things you learned in that classroom. And once you complete the field day and then you've passed your fitness test, um, then you will receive a firefighter type one or type two qualification on a card. That means that when you get deployed to an incident, right, you show up, then everybody on that incident knows that you are a firefighter. And then of course, uh, you know, you we do have a few uh, guards, uh, personnel, guard personnel that are also at the next level, which is firefighter type one. And then also there are um, aviation qualifications as well. And so we have some of uh, the folks through the Guard that are uh, qualified in our aviation um, positions. Okay. <clears throat> Sergeant Larkin, has he, have you ever gone through the training before? So I have not done the firefighter. Uh, I've done the online portion uh, mm -hmm. part of it, um, but I basically do the, uh, the LNO mission. Oh, okay. um, and that's, yeah, and that was specifically because of my unit of, of the 144 is being a, uh, a digital liaison unit in itself. Uh, it kind of marries well with uh, our mission. So what's what's liaisoning like? So really, the the so there's three, three people in the liaison kind of uh, unit, right? So there's the, the officer, the enlisted, and an admin. So our main focus is to get on ground, talk with uh, the head honcho to figure out you know, sleeping arrangements, um, the battle rhythm, um, you know, what's going on and how we're going to be ultimately utilized. Uh, and at that point, again, the, the crew comes in, we bed them down, make sure they're fed. Uh, and then we start making sure that we understand the battle mission and coordinate with the jock. Uh, so that way the jock understands uh, what the army units are doing and that they're also taken care of. So that was like the major thing of fires past is that um, that some of our forces ran up and utilized the most optimal way and or felt that they didn't have someone to talk to right because we're, we're we're embedded with civilians they may not know the lingo they may not know some of the small nuances that the military provides and so liaison was just created to kind of help bridge that gap mm -hmm. okay so i know we we were two different agencies uh, we speak different languages. So what are some of the, I guess, hurdles that you guys have experienced in the past when 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 a guard unit has been called up to to fires and 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 wants to help out? Is, is there any been any any kind of hurdles that you guys have come across? 
I think for me, from my perspective, just on some of the team assignments I've been on when the guard has showed up, it has been um, just making sure we also, the civilians, understand what they're there to do. So making sure that we have, are they there to fight fire or are they there to um, provide logistics or, you know, some other type role? So it isn't necessarily always firefighting. So when we see the guard on an incident, generally, I think that's your key. It's a big incident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I would say because uh, I was in fires last year, um, when the guard does show up, everyone's kind of like relieved. It's like a sigh of relief. Like, yes, we have, you know, reinforcements because um, from my understanding is that because these guys are on fires all throughout the whole country, they have to have their downtime. So, uh, yeah, uh, I would say for, for me, as far as um, disconnects, I haven't had any disconnects with the civilians, right? Because uh, there is, I, had, I dealt with Mr. Biggs last year and he was the, the counterpart to us yeah. uh, on our side of the house. Uh, so we helped out. Um, really, it was more of some misunderstandings with what the guard, what our certification is. I think we had one guy saying that he could be a crew boss because he completed the training. Um, and of course, uh, being in uniform, sometimes people trust the uniform a little bit more than they should. And uh, so we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll put him as a crew boss. Uh, and of course, Mr. Biggs ran the, through the information through uh, Olympia to make sure all the search were there and found out that guy was not certified crew boss. Um, <laughs> so th th that was a big disconnect. Uh, but again, it was resolved uh, with Mr. Biggs being there. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a great help. Interesting. Um, yeah, we yeah. also we also try and liaison. So you guys liaison, but we try to liaison with you to help you, you know, get through all of our funkiness, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I will say that, that was a, a really weird disconnect was um, the the pay sheets. <laughs> so I was there last year. And like, hey, did you fill out your uh, your pay cards? And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, because of every incident is different in how they operate, uh, they required us to fill out time cards uh, and turn them into their their uh, pay office. And I was kind of confused and kind of looking at them sideways, like, um, yeah, you, you pay for us wholesale. <laughs> we don't <laughs> parcel out hours. And they're like, no, no, we still gotta clear from the site. So please fill out your time card. Uh, so I was there for another, another additional hour uh, to fill out the time cards, fill out the mileage sheets. <laughs> I thought it was kind of comical. Uh, and I, I also felt that, like, again, Mr. Biggs and, and the like were kind of looking at us, too, like, yeah, this is kind of weird of why they're letting you do this. And, and that's also it speaks to um, a lot of times it, some, some locations have never called a guard uh, to help and support them. So it's, uh, it's a learning curve. Um, so that, of course, that incident uh, site said, hey, you need to uh, fill out time cards where others that are really ingrained in calling up the guard for help uh, have, may have a different approach. Mm -hmm. okay. Do you, is there anything that we haven't covered that you guys would like to talk about? Maybe something interesting that we, some interesting aspect of your guys' positions? Uh, I can speak on one. I can speak on a couple. Uh, so <laughs> since, since, uh, once the guard gets called up, we're not, we're not at the top. We're not like taking over military operations We're on the bottom here to support, uh, the local officials. 
Um, so there's certain pomps and circumstances, just like uh, in the army when a general shows up, please alert the, the people uh, that a dignitary showing up and to the AO. Uh, so last year we had a, a one star that was like part of the crew, went to go ninja style and just show up <laughs> and say hello. And we're like, hey, I didn't know your journal was going to show up. He's like, oh, yeah, he does that from time to time. Like, uh, yeah, you got to let us know as the LNO so we can let the incident commander know. So that way we can, you know, be all prepared when a general shows up. And uh, yeah. of course, we got the, the, the north and south. Yeah, yeah, we got that. We got that. And uh, yeah, he showed up again. Just ninja style. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of weird. <laughs> and uh, luckily, it was nothing bad happened. It was just kind of, you know, one of those things that we need to, to, to do is to be aware and let everyone else know. Uh, the second thing that happened is that, Again, once the guard is on site, a lot of our PA guys, PAO guys, want to take pictures and and uh, be a part of the crew. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is good because it shows it shows that we're doing we're, we're doing good for our state and helping support the local officials that we're there not to that we're there to be a force multiplier. Um, and with that being said, other people like to show up. So last year we had um, an E nine for the Air Force who's brand new uh, to the Washington State. He just uh, ETS from another state, and he wanted to look at the guys. He wanted to go hang out with the crew. So like, yeah, sure, right? And he's red card certified, so okay, cool. He got all his equipment uh, from the supply point. Okay, cool. Um, and he was also with the Air Force uh, PAO guy. So I was like, okay, you're going to take a couple pictures. Good to go. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we thought the guy was going to leave, and uh, he decided to uh, make himself part of the crew. <laughs> We're like, bro. <laughs> you're not on a new <laughs> roster. I didn't know you're staying multiple days. <laughs> you gotta let us know because if anything bad were to happen, nobody's accounting for you. You're here you're on your right. own. Uh, and wow. it, of course, he agreed. But I was like, that should you're an E nine. Um, I, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but yeah. 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 you should okay. know better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought that was weird. Uh, I mean, yeah, stuff like that happens, I guess. Uh, you know, it's, it's a big incident. You know, there's lots of moving parts, you know. Yeah. Understandable, though. Yeah. And I would say additionally, like, it's always weird about um, the locations you go to, right? Because we were in Encholam last year, which is uh, an Indian reservation. And some of the local customs, uh, you just have to adhere to and just work with. Um, so one of the things that was also kind of weird was the dogs that run wild. They're just running around, mm. running around business, doing their thing. And having uh, your sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we had one guy that uh, I guess the dog ripped into his tent, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Uh, so I was like, oh man, <laughs> why did he rip into your tent? You know, being the E7 that I am, I'm going to go look at it. And I was like, yeah, cookies, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that was comical. Uh, so this guy's distraught, like, oh my gosh. And like, uh, it happens. Yeah, we'll just report it out. And it's not like we signed for the equipment per se. It should be able to get replaced. We'll just make sure DNR knows. And, you know, everything's good to go. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. And then, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, just those weird kind of uh, nuances that take place when you're on site. Uh, that it's yeah. just, again, it's like a deployment. It's just comical. Yeah, yeah. You just got to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Angie, is there anything else that, uh, that you'd like to add? No, I I really didn't have anything to add, but uh, 
just appreciate you guys inviting me to this. And then also uh, we, you know, appreciate working with you and having, having such a close relationship with you guys. I think it makes it go a lot smoother when it comes to, um, uh, you know, getting you guys out on a, on assignment, on incident. And then of course, you know, training is uh, a lot smoother because we do have such a close relationship. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And I think one of the biggest takeaways we can take away from this conversation is uh, let people know when you arrive and, and what you're doing. Yeah, don't leave cookies in your tent. Yeah, don't yeah. leave cookies in your tent. <laughs> okay, that was hilarious. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, thank you guys. Well, thank you guys very much. Yeah, thank you.